2 Corinthians 4 and verse 16. Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. I think that speaks a lot toward our motivation, right? Uh, why do we do what we do? Why do we study the Bible as much as we study it? Why is it something that we uh, feel is so absolutely important? Um, what I want to discuss this morning, really, in tandem with what uh, Andrew has presented, is uh, something really a way to organize Bible knowledge. The Prezi that I have, the, the PowerPoint that I have uh, up this morning, is something I used in a study at Pinson uh, for primarily little kids, and so it's very simple. Uh, but I would like for us to maybe go through some drills uh, concerning this this morning and talk about some of these things. Uh, Andrew mentioned the 17 time periods. We want to talk about that. And what I want to discuss, even as we continue to look at this, uh, there's a book that Bob Waldron wrote, small book, called The Three Cycle Approach. You can get this from CI Bookstore or anywhere you like, really. But it outlines a way to organize your knowledge of the Bible. So this is not necessarily uh, different information, right? This is information that we have, but that maybe we need to think about how are we organizing this? How are we storing it? Let me tell you, I've uh, taken, uh, in the three years I was over in Pinson, I was able to go to a lot of gospel meetings. You know, area like Birmingham, lots of congregations. I mean, literally, if you went to every single one throughout the year, you'd probably go crazy, but... <laughs> But no, it, it would be really good. But, uh, but I got to take notes, right, in a lot of those sermons, right? I've maybe used, I'm going to liberally say I've used maybe four of those notes that I've taken to use in a study or, an, or, a, or a sermon or something like that. Primarily, I'll just confess, when I take notes, I'm going to, store them somewhere, I'm going to file them away somewhere, and guess what? There they stay. And see, that, that, that's, that's what we get in trouble with when we try to learn the Bible. Um, imagine, if you will, a fellow wants to build a car. And just imagine, as, as odd as this might sound, let's imagine he wants to get it piece by piece. So he's going to get these pieces. Maybe he's got a warehouse where he's going to assemble this car. And he gets these pieces, they're shipping in one at a time. And, you know, maybe he catalogs them, maybe he writes some notes about them. But then he puts it in a box, puts it over in the corner of the warehouse. Next part comes in, he does the same thing. Eventually he's got a corner of this warehouse that's just slapped full of boxes and stuff. But you know what, maybe he doesn't really know exactly how to get it all together. Maybe he doesn't know. I mean, maybe he could have blueprints as a guide for that, right? Maybe he could have an organizational method for knowing how he's going to put that together. Another illustration that you might bring up. Imagine going into a forest and say, I'm really going to, and Matt, Matt may uh, have something here. Imagine going into a forest and saying, I'm going to analyze this forest. I'm going to get a picture of this forest. Well, what are you going to do? Well, sometimes in our Bible study, when we want to try to focus on the Bible, 
we may be like the person that takes one leaf off of a tree and says, wow, you know, look at this leaf. I'm going to study and analyze this side of it. Then I'm going to go over here. I'm going to study and analyze this side of it. That is a beautiful leaf. How wonderful that leaf is. And you may kind of put that leaf back up on the tree somehow. <laughs> Uh, but guess what? How successful are you going to be in keeping that knowledge as you go on to the next leaf? I'm afraid sometimes when we study the Bible, we study it piecemeal. We study one book here, one book there, one verse here, one verse there. And that's not wrong, and that's not bad. And I don't want to be this person that's saying, you know, the way we're doing things is wrong. But maybe we need to look at a bigger picture of the scriptures themselves to have an organizational method to store it. This may be kind of an odd thing to bring up. Has anybody ever heard of a mind palace? This is just something that I've kind of picked up through like, you know, there's a, there's a, a show on TV where a guy talks about like his mind palace and literally in the scenes he's going into his, and it's like, where he organizes his knowledge, right? There's a way that we can build up in our minds a way to store and organize knowledge. And, and, and I just want to imp impress upon you as we go through these uh, time periods how easy this is. This is not something that's complicated. If we look at the Bible as a complicated book, guess what? We're not going to be able to share the good news with someone as readily and, and as easily. So what is the Bible? Uh, let's, let's, let's have some discussion here. What is the Bible? If we could talk about some other things about what is the Bible. Andrew talked about a unique book, and I think that's absolutely right. Where did the Bible come from? Collection of books. Yeah? What else? What is the Bible? Who, who wrote it? God. So it's God's Word, Right? And even more so, it's the story of Jesus. And Andrew's already talked about that as well. And as, uh, as Matt mentioned, this is 66 books divided into two testaments. And I like to, in this study with the kids, I like to ask them, what's a testament? And the basic definition we had was that it's a message that's been left behind. It's a testament that's left behind, and it's left behind for us. And so as we think about that, this is what the Bible is. Uh, you know, again, running through this briefly, the Old Testament message is that Jesus is coming, as Andrew talked about. We talked about the different, uh, the different types of literature that is in the Old Testament, law, history, poetry, major prophets, and minor prophets. And uh, in this study also, we uh, emphasize those groupings uh, in the Old Testament as well. Um, the New Testament, you've got 27 books, and the New Testament actually has two messages. First of all, Jesus is here among the four Gospels, as Andrew mentioned, and also Jesus is coming back, which uh, encompasses the Acts and the 22 epistles. So there's our divisions there. So we've got those different forms of literature even in there. But here we have basically organized the 17 time periods, and if you would, humor me, let's walk through these and say them together. Because uh, this is something that, again, is, 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 as we piece these together and talk about them, uh, maybe it will be a little bit more useful for us. So what we're talking about with the 17 time periods is uh, before the flood. And so, everybody say it again, before the flood, right? Okay. We're talking about before the flood. Now, if we're talking about before the flood, 
what time period are we talking about? Who's involved in this time period? Noah, Adam and Eve, creation, Cain and Abel. Uh, so, I mean, these things are kind of falling into place. And one thing you'll notice about these time periods, they don't, you know, I remember as a kid noticing, you know, people talk about the Mosaical age and then the, the New Testament age and the church, you know. And that's, again, that's fine. That's not wrong. That's not bad. But, but one benefit to these time periods is that they're centered and rooted on events that we can remember from the scriptures. And so uh, when we think about before the flood, we've got the name of the second time period right there, don't we? What's the second time period? The flood. So we've got before the flood, the flood. Now let's try that together, right? Before the flood, the flood. Okay, it's pretty simple, right? Easy to remember because the first time period tells us the second time period. And what's the second time period encompass? The flood. <laughs> uh, Noah saved his family uh, 40 days and 40 nights in the water. And, uh, but this, this, of course, stretches beyond that, right? I think this time period goes up until another significant event. What is the next significant event in the Bible after the flood? The scattering of the people. When did that happen? The Tower of Babel. Now again, I think often we don't recognize the importance of this event. This is a serious, this is a big thing. And so the time of the flood, you might say, comprises the flood itself, but also a time period uh, afterwards when Noah and his family were basically propagating and, 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 and that line of Shem began to be uh, uh, upon the earth. And from that point, you see the Tower of Babel, the people building up a name for themselves and God scattering them with one uh, particular thing. All right. Now, again, after this time period, I mentioned Shem. That family continues on. Who do we get from the line of Shem? later on after this? Abraham. Abraham. And Abraham was? He was a patriarch. And so what's our next time period? The patriarchs. So let's try it. Let's go back again. Before, let's together. Before the flood, the flood, the scattering of the people, patriarchs. Pretty easy. Pretty easy. So in this time of the patriarchs, again, we're talking, we mentioned Abraham. What are the two other primary patriarchs that we think of in this time period? Isaac and Jacob. So Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were primarily the patriarchs. Now, in Jacob's line, who do we have that uh, went somewhere else entirely than where they were? Joseph. What happened to Joseph? He was sold into slavery, and where was he taken? to Egypt. And so Joseph's story tells us where we see the next period. What's the next period? Well, that's a good guess. It's the Exodus. Yeah, again, again, we're not looking at these necessarily as blocks of time. We're looking at them as, as pillar, you know, tent points of events. And so, you know, you think about this like this, this w w it helps us to remember this because we're remembering based on events and not based on maybe something that may be a little bit more vague. Does that make sense? Yeah. 
Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that doesn't, we don't really see a whole lot about that, just that things get bad. And so, so we've got the Exodus. Moses is chosen by God to lead his people out of Egypt to demand that Pharaoh let them go. And it's in this course of time that God essentially identifies his people, right? We've got the imagery in the Bible that he baptized his people within the Red Sea. And they became a nation because he made them a nation ultimately. They were already a people, but they weren't his people really, right? He, he, he sanctifies them. He gives them the law. Now, after this, what, what can we guess is the next time period here? Uh, there's one before that. Wandering in the wilderness. Wandering in the wilderness. And so that, that's where we see uh, God's people going through until they get to Kadesh Barnea. And they reach that point, and then they turn back around, right? Because God told them, you know, you're not faithful enough, basically, to go into the promised land at this time. And so they wander through the wilderness for 40 years. That whole generation, God said, you're not going to see the promised land. So they die off. Then this other generation comes up. And then we see, as uh, Brother Gary uh, guessed just a minute ago, we, uh, we see a transition, right? The leadership of Moses transitions into the leadership of Joshua. And then Joshua leads us into the invasion and conquest of Canaan. The invasion and conquest of Canaan. Let me stop here so that we've got it all together here. Before the flood, the flood, the scattering of the people, patriarchs, exodus, wandering in the wilderness, Invasion and conquest. We've got seven time periods down at this point. Okay? So again, we're, we're kind of linking these together in these, uh, in these events. And so in terms of invasion and conquest, what are some events? What are some big events that we think of here? What are some big, you know, some names that we think of here? Jericho. Jericho. We think about the conquest over Jericho, the first major conquest of the people in, the, in that new land. Right? What other, what other events? What other things? Yeah, Rahab and the spies. Rahab helped them conquer Jericho, basically. I'm sorry? AI, yeah, the, fa- the, the, the failure at AI, right? The sin of Achan led to this failure at AI. But then once Achan was taken care of, Israel was victorious. And so, uh, yeah, so we got invasion and conquest. The land is divided, ultimately. Uh, divided out after they conquer. Do they conquer everybody? Now, there's some people left there because they didn't really do everything that God wanted them to do. But this time period uh, helps us understand something, right? If those other people, excuse me, those other people who were there, God tells them there's, they're going to be a problem for you. And eventually they're going to overcome you. And when God's people became sinful and were overcome and were enslaved, who do they cry out for? cried out for God. What did God send them? A judge. So what's our next time period? Judges. 
So again, we're linking this together. We're trying to help us understand, you know, what's the framework here? So Judges, this is the time period where God's people, we've got the, the cycle of sin. We've got the point where they, uh, they are sinful against God and they, uh, they're punished for this. They cry for a deliverer, a judge is sent. And so there we have that, that essential point that in this time of Judges, what, what, what was it like? What was this time period like? Somebody give me an idea. Roller coaster, yeah. Yeah, we just recently studied through it. You know, uh, was everybody, you know, had a mindset of doing what the Lord wanted? No, they're focusing on themselves. And you see that, that decay and that degradation over time throughout the course of that book. Yes. And eventually, the last judge that we see. There's a problem that the people come to him with. What's, what's their complaint against this last judge? Yes. They're saying to Samuel, you're old and your sons don't walk in your ways. You know, you know you're a good guy, Samuel. Your sons aren't really doing the right thing. So we don't really trust them to lead us. We need a king. But, of course, we need a king to be like the other nations. So what is our next time period? United Kingdom. United Kingdom. So the t- time of the kings, I mean, that's, that's exactly right. But again, you know, again, I, I, I'm the same way. Like, I mean, I, before I really looked into this, it was more of the sense of like, you know, you get a sense of like kings are here and this, you know. But, but I think, it's, you know, obviously this gets a little more specific. Who do we have in the t- time of the United Kingdom? What are the kings that we have? Saul, David, and Solomon. Those are the three main ones that we see in this time. I'm sorry? Yes. And uh, so, again, Andrew, I think, dealt really well with the period of David in his, in his lesson as well, so I don't want to go too far into that. But uh, the fact that it is called the United Kingdom gives us a clue toward the next timeline, right, or next, next time period. If there's a United Kingdom, what does that mean is eventually going to happen to that kingdom? Divided. So what's our next time period? Divided kingdom. Let's let's take a break here. Before the flood, the flood, the scattering of the people, patriarchs, exodus from Egypt, wandering in the wilderness, invasion and conquest, judges, united kingdom, divided kingdom. We're up to ten. We got seven left. So in our divided kingdom, we got a number of different rulers. We've got uh, and we've got two kingdoms, right? As, as, uh, as Andrew mentioned, you've got Israel in the north and Judah in the south. Israel was never faithful to God. They followed in the sin of Jeroboam all through their time. And eventually, Israel is taken captive by who? The Assyrians. The Assyrian nation takes Israel away. And who are we left with? Okay, so what's our next time period? Judah alone. Judah is left alone. That's our next time period. This is a time when Judah should have seen what happened to Israel and understood that and seen, man, we better, we better come back around and serve the Lord and be faithful to God. Uh, but they didn't do that. In fact, things got worse and worse. You still have some, a couple of good kings toward the end, but still things just get worse and worse and worse. And uh, 
in the course of Judah, you've got a number of different people, a number of different situations. Uh, again, <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of intimidated. Brother Gary named off all the kings right before the, the hour. But, uh, you know, we can think of some of the names that are associated with uh, these time periods, especially toward the end of the kingdom of Judah. It gets really hard. you got Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin, Jehoi, you know, all these different guys going on. But... Uh, but it helps us to understand that what was going to happen to Judah, what did God say was going to happen to Judah? Captivity. Captivity. And who was going to take Israel captive? Babylon. Not Assyria, but Babylon. And so what is our next time period? Babylonian captivity. Again, we don't really focus so much on the Israel's captivity because we're, we're, fo- we're concerned about where the faithful are. We're concerned about where Jesus is coming from. Uh, that's the story here that we're looking at. And so in the Babylonian captivity, what are some names that come up in this time? Daniel. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Extra credit. Does anybody know their Hebrew names? <laughs> Yes, very good. So, uh, <laughs> so in terms of the Babylonian captivity, uh, you've got God's people taken away from their homeland, right? And it's interesting when you think about how much good this actually did for the people of Israel. It took care of their, it, their idol worship. Um, it did a lot of good things for them. They're scattered among the nations, ultimately. After this, this is not the same. Prepared them for Christ. Yeah, this was the start of God really helping his people being prepared. That's why in, in the book of Luke, when Zacharias is being told about, about John the Baptist, and, and I, I kind of, you know, it kind of puzzled me, the, one of the first times I really truly studied Luke, of saying, why is he saying to make ready a people prepared for the Lord? Because they had already been prepared. That's an awesome thought, isn't it? That like they had already, you know, God had worked on his people for so long already, even before John the Baptist was on the scene. So he was going to continue to make them prepared. All right. So after the captivity, these people are scattered about. But what was going to happen later on after the captivity? If they're taken away from Jerusalem, hopefully what's going to happen is they're going to return. They're going to come back. And so they return from captivity. Did everybody, did all the Jews return from captivity to Jerusalem? No, no. There were still Jews that were spreading out the other nations. And they went about evangelizing. They went about making proselytes. That's why when you look in the Gospels, uh, the proselytes are a big thing. And, and, and always was a big thing, but you get what I mean. So return from captivity. They're back in Jerusalem. At least some of them are. What do we have next? What comes after this? Yeah, there's 400 years of silence. Can you imagine? We've got the last prophet, Malachi, upbraiding God's people for their vacuous worship, for the fact that they, they're doing the right thing, but their heart isn't in it. They don't really care. And after that, God says nothing. Silence. Uh, you've got an interesting period here, though, of history that we can look at, right? If you look at the Maccabean Revolt and all the different things that were happen, happening worldwide at the time, you've got the end of the Persian Empire, the start of the Grecian Empire, the movement into the Roman Empire, which dominates uh, at the time of the Gospels in the first century. And so again, after this point, what do we have? 
after this silence is broken and the angel speaks to Zechariah in the temple, God speaks to his people for the first time in 400 years, you have the build-up to the life of Christ. Now, there are other things that we could talk about in terms of the life of Christ. There are actually seven periods that uh, Bob Waldron suggests about the time periods uh, in terms of Jesus' life that may be helpful for us in looking at those things. Um, and I think I've already shared that with uh, some of our younger people in our Tuesday studies. You've got the life of Christ. This is the, this is the focal point of everything that we're going at. You know, the Bible is the story of Jesus. This is the life of Christ. This is the climax, ultimately. Now, Jesus lives and dies for our sins, right? And he is resurrected, ascends to the right hand of the Father on high. And then after that, did he just leave and not leave anything behind? Left, yeah, yeah. Well, he, he, he gave his apostles something to do, right? He told them they were supposed to go and make disciples. And he also told them to wait somewhere. Where did he tell them to wait? In Jerusalem, until you're imbued with power on high. And that time came, ultimately, in the book of Acts. And that's what we're talking about. The next time period is the early church. The early church. Uh, the book of Acts comprises this whole time period because it helps us to understand that history of what happened and how that all transpired. But then beyond the establishment of the church and beyond the evangelism that was going on, what happened afterwards, Andrew mentioned as well, and there are some that actually were written around this time, but you've got our final time period as letters to the Christians. Yeah. Um, and so that, that's really what we're looking at in terms of the 17 time periods. Let's, um, let's briefly, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk through, back through here and we're going to say them all together if that works for y'all. All right? Let's go from the start. Before the flood, the flood, the scattering of the people, patriarchs, exodus from Egypt, wandering in the wilderness, invasion and conquest, judges, united kingdom, divided kingdom, Judah alone, Babylonian captivity, return from captivity, 400 years of silence, the life of Christ, the early church, letters to Christians. So there we go. Now, I'm going to pull back out to a, uh, a big point view of this. And uh, I want to just briefly, as we kind of close our thoughts today, uh, encourage you to think about this. This is not something that we have to do now as a congregation. And uh, I just wanted to bring this up as a possibility of what we might do or what, what, what we could do is take this as a framework, uh, as a congregation, as individuals, and what a lot of congregations have done is construct their Bible study courses in this way. Uh, the three-cycle approach basically says you're going to do maybe one or two classes of the whole Bible and run through it kind of in a similar way to what we've done today. And then after that, you take about three months to go through the whole Bible. And then, after that point, you stretch out to about a plan for about three years to go through the whole Bible. And technically, there's a fourth cycle that Brother Waldron talks about that's a lifetime of learning. Um, the whole point of this is not to just study something and then just be done with it. 
study it in the, in the big picture, then maybe zoom in a little bit more, and then zoom in a little bit more so that we can properly understand. You know, you know, we've got these, you can think about these almost as file folders. And everything we learn, we can mentally put these into, into perspective, into the right, right uh, thought process, so that when we're going to a gospel meeting somewhere and someone has a, 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 a lesson on Nehemiah, we know when that happened. When did Nehemiah happen? Happened during the return, right? Return from captivity. Uh, when you know, and, and actually, we could we could do quizzes as far as like, you know, when does uh, you know when does when does Jacob work for seven years? Well, during the patriarchs, you know. And so, I, I, I say all this just as a suggestion. I'm not saying you know this has to be the way that we go, but it may be helpful for us uh, to think about even as individuals for us to maybe memorize these time periods so that we can have a good frame of reference. Because you know, again, I would echo what Andrew said. There are people out there that I think we have to recognize don't know anything about the Bible. And you know, you've got people growing up today that don't have, have no idea who Moses is, have no idea who Noah really is or was. And those are the kind of people that we want to try to reach those are the kind of people we want to try to talk to. And we need to have this knowledge. You know, something, something else that comes to my mind. We need to make sure that we're not spending all of our time in application of Bible knowledge. We need the knowledge, number one, before we make application. In fact, I would argue that the, the Bible study in our Bible classes, that's the time where we need to be talking about the knowledge aspect of things. Not to say that we never make application, but certainly I think the, the, the sermons that we have, our time together during worship, that's really uh, one of the biggest times to make application. Again, not saying that we have to like divide one from the other, but recognize that distinction. Because for me to properly make application, I've got to have the knowledge. And I've got to have the framework to properly identify and store this knowledge and not just write it down on a piece of paper put it somewhere. Does anybody have any questions or comments? All right. Uh, thank you all very much for your attention. Um, if there's nothing else, we're going to be led in prayer now and we'll consider ourselves dismissed.